Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA video stream and podcast on what we like to call the interwebs. My name is Chris Tubbs. You can see that if you on the screen, if you're watching, uh, if you're not, if you're listening on the um, any one of the platforms that we're on. Thank you so much for making us a part of your weekly wrestling podcast rotation. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. And our goal here is to always give you something different, something unique, something about the American Wrestling Association that maybe you didn't know before. And I think that's the perfect segue into the sort of show that we've got today, because we like to do these. I think Mick Karch, this might be one of our favorite formats, because this is a show today that is about what our listeners want to hear, what our fans want to hear. And this is one of those no DQ and A's. And I got to admit, we're doing more of them than maybe I would have anticipated. But the thing is, every time we do a podcast, there's always a handful of questions that come up and they keep adding and adding. So it's like, I feel like we do like three or four of, you know, topics and then we come back to Q and A and then we do a few more, but I don't want to leave these questions just on the table. Like I want to address these because people have questions and I mean, th these are always the fun ones because I always learn something new too. Well, you know, I just got back from uh, Cauliflower Alley Club, and you'd be surprised at the kind of response that this podcast got from a lot of people that came up to me at CAC and said, "You know, the AWA is being recognized. Thank you guys so much." And then they'll go into a question, "Hey, whatever happened to so and so? You know, is that clown still alive? You know, things like yeah. that." Um, so it's great. The questions never, they never stop. And that's what we love. You know, we're always going to have something to talk about. We're always going to unearth something. Yeah. So uh, keep the questions coming. Absolutely. And I know, Mick, that you have had a busy week. Oh. You were out at Cauliflower Alley, but you also, we, we've got details on the AWA reunion coming up on uh, October 29th. So right. we're just like two and a half, no, three and a half weeks away from it. So tell us, what do you know? Well, you, you pretty much, you're the one running the event. So, I mean, my God, if you're going to, if nobody's, you know, somebody's going to know it, it's going to be you. Kind of fill us in on the details of uh, what's going to happen on October 29th. Okay. The, the only thing I, I would encourage people to go to for the uh, additional information is ticket info, because it's a lot easier to read it online uh, either at the Slick Mick Old School Wrestling page or the AWA Unleashed fan page. So that there's your ticket info. But October 29th, Embassy Suites in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, the crawl at the bottom of the screen there, it is going to be great. And I, I, I hope I'm not going to forget anybody here uh, as I read the list quickly. Yeah, I just, I just put a few of them on there. Like, I'm not okay. trying to leave anybody out. These were just a few of them that I put on just kind of before we, we came on, but Perfect. including but not limited to, as they would say. Here we go. Uh, John Nord, the Barbarian, our buddy, will be coming in. Uh, Todd Buster, Kenny J, Tom Rocky Stone, Chris Curtis, Steve Olsonowski, Polish Joe Chupik, Chupik, uh, Princess Little Cloud herself, Dixie Jordan, is coming in from Las Vegas. Is she really? She I is. did not know. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. The princess is coming in. Hey, by the uh, way, shout shout out Dixie for wearing the hoodie out in Vegas too. Absolutely. I love it. Love it. Uh, awesome. we 
Also, we are going to have referee Gary Darusha. Uh, Eddie Sharkey is scheduled to be there. Uh, also, we're going to have Lanice Hennig, who is the widow of the late, great Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. Oh, she's wow. going to be on hand. First time she's ever gone to a wrestling function like this. Really? She's very, she's a little nervous about it, but we're going to make her feel at home. And uh, then, of course, we are going to have the family of the late wild Alaskan, Rick Renslow, a great friend of mine. We're going to pay tribute to him and the family. All this for 25 bucks, ladies and gentlemen. And one of two things, if you're one of the first 250 people to order, and again, you can go online and take a look at how, you'll be entitled to a buffet appetizer. Boom. But it's limited. If you're one of the next 250 or 5,000 or whatever it is, we're going to give you an AWA memorabilia pack along with the, you know, the opportunity to see these wrestlers. So it's going to be a great event, noon to 4, October 29th. Who knows? We may add a, a person or two between now and then. So we'll see. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like, Mick, I'm getting excited about, like, I'm just like, I'm sitting here and I just like, I mean, I'm, I'm excited, man. You know, I like to get juiced up, but now I'm like, really, I'm fired up now. This is great. Well, I know. I, I know you're a Tom Rocky Stone, Mark. So I, I, love, I get that. You kidding? Yeah. I love Tom. I love Tom. I get Rocky. I, I mean, you know, everybody knows him. Everybody likes it. I mean, hey, he's, he's a, somebody asked. They ask questions about these. That's the thing. It's like people are going, hey, you know, what is so-and-so up to? How is so-and-so doing? It's like now you get a chance to talk to them yourself. You can interact with them, take your picture. Do I mean, it's it's great. I'm looking forward to it, and it's going to be a blast just about three and a half weeks away. Very much so. We're going to have fun. Lots of vendors going to be on hand, yeah. uh, with wrestling merchandise. And I should mention real quickly just about Cauliflower Alley Club. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Rich, of course, former AWA talent, was there. Wildfire uh, Tommy Rich. Wildfire, yeah. And uh, Jerry the King Lawler, of course, former AWA heavyweight champion. And the Rock and Roll Express, who had a brief run with the AWA uh, back in 1988. And I talked to Rick... Uh, 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 Robert Gibson a little bit, and I said, do you remember working for Vern? He says, oh, yeah. He says, then he, Vern wanted us to come back and do a kind of a steady run in December and January up in Minnesota, and we said no. <laughs> in December and January. So it was great to see him. Great uh, great time at Cauliflower Alley Club, but now we're back in the saddle. We're going to answer some questions. All right, uh, let's do it. By the way, Robert Gibson, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy that would be uh, into the ice fishing. So maybe no, no, no I, I don't know. It doesn't strike me. Hey, uh, want to thank before we get to him, want to thank Soda Stick. Uh, you can see it's hoodie season. You guys talked about Dixie Jordan was wearing the personalized AWA Unleashed hoodie. She was wearing it. You can get yours. They're really comfortable. They run a little small. So if you want a, an AWA Unleashed hoodie, it's black, white, really slick, you guys. Go to sodastickco.com, get it personalized. They run a size small. So if you're normally like an XL, go 2X. Or if you're 2X, you know, go 3X because that's that's what I had to do. And, I mean, neither one of us are big guys, but, you know, we both had well, to get 2X, but they're comfortable. Speak for yourself, pal, because, uh, you know, I ordered a Sleeps 7 comfortably, and it was still <laughs> too tight. So, Hey, whatever you do, Sleeping 7, I don't, you know, you and the Seven Dwarves, whatever. I, <laughs> you're Snow White. You're Snow White now. Well, yeah, don't leave my tan out of this. <laughs> there All you right. go. Anyway. Uh, also, I um, want to thank uh, 7th Avenue Pizza as well. Great pizza as well, you guys. Um, yeah, you can uh, – have some pizza while you're watching our podcast there. Yes, sir. 
All right. Now, this being said, Mick, let's go ahead and get to it. I'm going to bring up my document and question number one from Bob Eisenberg. What was the controversy with Bob Backlund at Vern Gagne's memorial service back in 2015? I still do not have a definitive answer as to why this took place. Um, some will say it was a work. Some will say, no, it's just Bob being Bob. Uh, and again, this is the Vern Gagne Memorial Service back in 2015 when Vern passed away. And there's Bob Backlund. Uh, Greg Gagne was actually delivering a, you know, part of the eulogy for his dad. And I was sitting a couple of rows in front of uh, Backlund, who, you know, kind of towards the, the, the back of the, of the church. And all of a sudden, Backlund yells out, don't forget about Mr. Backlund, kind of, you know, one of the greatest blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what in the hell is going on here? Uh, this is right in the middle of a eulogy. And I don't think it was a work because Greg had smoke coming out of his ears. Uh, I, I don't know what Bob was thinking at the time, or maybe he wasn't, but it was just a bizarre situation. And everybody kind of turned around and looked towards the back of the room. It's like, why is this guy cutting a promo in the middle of a service? Yeah. But, uh, you know, that I, I guess that's that's Mr. Backlund. And, and, and I thought, it like, the whole change in, what, 94, 95, when he returned to WWE, I kind of thought that was part of, like, the new character, the new gimmick. But, I mean, I've seen him out and about as, as well, and he seems like he's a little on edge. But to do something like that during a, a, a service, I've never heard that story. Yeah. And to me, that you would not do anything like that during a service as part of a, a, a work. Like, that's not – that would be so disrespectful to do something like that. It, it, wow. I've never I, heard that story. Yeah, can't, can't explain it, don't understand it. And, uh, you know, Greg was certainly taken aback, as was everybody else. So yeah. here's your answer, Bob. All right, from uh, Jerry Siegel, why do I remember the name Eddie Williams from Wrestling Cards back when I was a kid? Or am I remembering wrong? Because uh, Jerry said he grew up in South Minneapolis. You are not remembering wrong, uh, Jerry. Eddie Williams was the promoter for the St. Paul part of the Twin Cities back and forth wrestling shows, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, they would build uh, Wally, Wally Carbo as the Minneapolis promoter and Eddie Williams as the St. Paul promoter. We're gonna get a shot of Eddie Williams, there he is. Uh, I don't know to what extent Eddie was actually involved in the promotional uh, part behind the scenes. I'm getting the sense that he actually was, you know, kind of the ticket guy, oversaw the, the sales and so forth for the St. Paul matches at the St. Paul Auditorium back in the day. Uh, but Eddie would run an annual event for a boys ranch here in the Twin Cities. Very, very successful. But, yeah, you remember correctly, Jerry, Eddie Williams, uh, a fixture for many years uh, with the AWA in the Twin Cities. Any idea why they go – you know, Eddie on, you know, the east side in St. Paul and Wally stayed in Minneapolis. Maybe they didn't want Wally to, to cross the border and go into St. Paul. That, <laughs> I, can, uh, <laughs> I can understand. I can understand not go, want not wanting to go to Wisconsin, but I mean, not wanting to go to St. Paul. What? I'm not that don't alienate our, our six or seven Wisconsin listeners. Come on. No, I want I, I'm including kidding. Stone. You know, it's going to be all over that. <laughs> you know, I uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, no, I kid. We 
We kid, we kid out of love. We Let me go into St. Paul. You can't keep me out of here. No. <laughs> from uh, from Lawrence T. Olson, this is something, Mick, that you referenced a few times. So I like this question. Uh, Mick, you've made reference many times to an outburst that a certain rock and roller had at a charity event, and you hesitate giving him airtime, but because the video is out there and on the web, I kind of explain how that went down. All right. Well, this is kind of a notorious incident, and uh, I'll remember it as best as I can. Uh, Buck Rock and Roll Zumhoff uh, at the time had not been charged or anything else with, with some of the stuff that he was uh, charged and convicted with before. And uh, the Heavy on Wrestling promotion had run a Jerry Lynn retirement show in Minneapolis at the convention center. Uh, I forget the exact year, pardon me. But is this, uh, is this the same Jerry Lynn one, the retirement show that he was talking about? Yes. Okay, Okay. so same one. There, there weren't different ones, the same one. Correct, correct. Okay. okay. And as I recall, Zumhoff had a birthday party for himself scheduled that same night of the show. And a lot of the talent and maybe some of the fans opted to go to the Jerry Lynn retirement show. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. uh, about a week or two later, Kenny J is doing his annual histiocytosis benefit, uh, I believe in, in Savage, Minnesota. And Steel Domain promoter Ed Hellier and I asked, asked Kenny, can we do a quick spot promoting an upcoming benefit that we have uh, for a child that has a brain tumor? And he's going to be going uh, undergoing some surgery, and we're doing a benefit in Anoka, Minnesota. Can we just come out and you know talk to the crowd a little bit at your benefit, and and talk about this event? Kenny, of course, gave us his blessing. Well, we know sooner or about a minute into it, then here comes Zumhoff, and he grabs the microphone out of my hand, and he proceeds to go on this mini tirade about how. Uh, I'm supposed to promote all of Minnesota wrestling, uh, not just certain events, not just Steel Domain. And he introduces himself to the crowd. Hi, I'm Buck Rock and Roll Zumhoff. And I think some people thought this was a work uh, mm -hmm. uh, promo. So they gave him, you know, moderate applause. And then he proceeds to talk about his promotion and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Ed and I are just like flabbergasted that this happened. So we start talking again, and Ed says, Maybe Buck didn't realize what we're trying to promote here is a benefit for a child who's got a brain tumor here. Buck comes back and grabs the microphone a second time. And again, he proceeds to basically say, you know, you know, there's a lot of promotions in this town, a lot of promoters. And he says, and Jerry Lynn runs a fine organization. Got totally confused. Jerry Lynn was not a promoter. He was not promoting anything. Mm -hmm. So Buck got his facts mixed up because of his birthday and the Jerry Lynn retirement party. And you, and you, you, you weren't even promoting anything wrestling, that this was something completely different. Buck is Buck. And, you know, it, as I look at the videotape of this, Larry Hennig is kind of walking back and forth and he's pacing because Larry is really getting ready to, you know. So we finished the, we finished the, uh, the promotion or the promo. Ed and I actually walked off. We let him have the microphone, and we just walked off. And after the camera was turned off, Buck proceeded to accost me in the back of the room and Ed 
why don't why aren't I promoting Buck stuff? And why am I spending all this time on this and this and this? And he threatened to punch you at Hellier in the mouth for whatever reason. Uh, it was just a bizarre, bizarre incident. And I think the way it's listed on YouTube is Buck Zumhoff has meltdown at, at fundraiser. So that's what happened. Um, let's not talk about him anymore. There's your explanation. And Let, let's uh, move on from uh, that to Sandra Henchy. Uh, hopefully I got your name right, Sandra. She said, Candy Devine was a favorite of mine, and I was sad to hear she passed away not that long ago. Is it true that she had a sister who also wrestled? Ah, great question. Uh, Candy Devine was just a great gal. Uh, you know, she started out as a wrestling fan down in the uh, in the Central States area. <clears throat> and, of course, a former AWA ladies champion. Had a, uh, a feud going back and forth with uh, Medusa Michelli and then and Sherry Martell. Uh, Candy, a great friend of mine, unfortunately had some respiratory issues and passed away uh, just last year. Uh, one of my favorite people in the business is a great shot of candy to answer the question. Yes, in fact, she did have a, uh, a sister that wrestled uh, Candy's uh, real name was Candace Rummel uh, and uh, R-U-M-M-E-L. And she had a sister, Rose Rummel, uh, who looked very much like Candy. Uh, and Rose wrestled as Rose Divine. And as a matter of fact, she competed in an AWA Ladies Battle Royal at the Metrodome in, Twin, in the Twin Cities area back at Wrestle Rock 1986. So, yep, there is the sister of the late Candy Divine, uh, Rose Rommel, Rose Divine. There, there you go. go. There we go. Just had to unmute my microphone there, Mick. Let's uh, go to uh, to, to, to let's go to number five here from Jim Callahan. Uh, Two-part question. I know you went on some road trips in the 1970s AWA. In your travels, what major AWA city had the most violent crowds? And also, what were some of the places the wrestlers went for after-card parties in various cities? Another another good question. Very good question. Uh, yeah, I did those road trips. A lot of times they were back-to-back-to-back to back to back because the AWA would run Milwaukee, Green Bay, and Chicago a lot, and boom, boom, boom. Um, so uh, Buddy Rose, the late Paul Perchman, and I would go on these various road trips and, and uh, take in the, uh, the events. Without question, to me, Chicago was the most violent city. Now, that, that's actually, uh, that's our next city. That's, that's in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Nino's uh, Steak Roundup, which was a, a big hangout for the rest. Ah, well, shit, I hit the wrong ah, button. I hit the wrong button. I'm that's okay. Saying. That's the story of my life. But uh, Chicago, without, <laughs> question, without question, was the most violent uh, AWA city. I remember many times go to a show at the amphitheater, mm -hmm. and from the opening match on, they were chanting, we want blood. And, you know, you would have a couple of enhancement guys in the ring, and they're already chanting for blood. Uh, and then, of course, they had the shooting incident uh, where a fan took some shots for, at uh, Bobby Heenan. And yeah, yeah, I was I was going to ask if that was if that was where Heenan the yeah. fan went after Heenan. OK, it, it was. And that's also where Bobby got clocked in the middle of the forehead uh, by a fan with a, a, a claw hammer uh, was in Chicago. So definitely the the most violent city, I would say, was in Chicago. And if I remember correctly, they sold hard liquor at the event. I'm almost sure. Ooh, yeah. So if you're selling hard liquor and you got a wrestling crowd. Imagine what's going to happen. You know, no, no problem there. Everything will go smoothly. Um, as far as the hangouts in Chicago, 
Uh, there was a place called the Air Host Motel, and we talked about that a little bit. Bobby Heenan's fam- uh, favorite place where Bobby always used to say, the Air Host, the home of hot and cold running rats. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Air Host in Chicago, uh, Nino's Steak Roundup in Milwaukee, you had the picture. Uh, now you want the picture up? Well, yeah, it's, you know. Put it up wherever. Put, put it up wherever, whenever. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, wherever. Just put it up there. We'll be talking about something else. But uh, <laughs> Nino's was a great place, and this is the 1970s, and you got Lord Alfred Hayes and Super Destroyer and Nick Bockwinkel, and I mean, it was just, it was a, a great time, great hangout. Uh, in the Twin Cities here, a couple of different places, the Holiday Motor Lodge out on Highway 55. Uh, the Dykeman Hotel, uh, where the wrestling office was housed, another great place for after parties. So uh, back in the day, back in the kayfabe days, when the boys had to stay separate, heels on one side of the bar, baby faces on the other, those were the, kind of the major hangouts. Did, did a lot of fans, because I know fans nowadays, they try and stake out these after card you know, places. Did fans do that a lot back then too? Absolutely they did, yeah. Yeah. More so, uh, I think, in Milwaukee, uh, Nino's, it was kind of a, I believe it was attached to a motel. I don't recall. Uh, but, yeah, the fans would just kind of swarm the place. And and uh, so the wrestlers got a little bit uncomfortable uh, because they had to maintain kayfabe back. Right. And, and God knows they'd be having drinks with each other and the fans and, you know, the, the guy that runs the hotel and everything these days. But, yeah, a little bit different time. But good, good times back then. From uh, uh, from Pete Nowling, I've read where some of the wrestlers in the past have literally passed away in the ring. My uncle told me this happened in Minneapolis. Is it legit? I believe what he is referring to is Guy Taylor. Uh, Guy Taylor was an enhancement wrestler who actually lived in the Twin Cities for a while while he was uh, wrestling for the AWA on television. And I think we've talked about this before. In 1968... A uh, guy was wrestling Dr. X, Dick Byer, on television. And uh, after the match was over, a uh, guy was, uh, like, getting his payoff from promoter Wally Carbo and collapsed in the locker room and uh, died of a heart attack almost instantly. And uh, the interesting thing about it is I recall vividly at one point in the match, guy's head kind of bounced off the bottom rope pretty violently. And I remember even as a kid thinking, oh, man, you know, that." Mm-hmm. That had to do some damage. Whether or not it did or not, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, sadly, Guy Taylor passed away right after uh, that match at the Calhoun Beach Hotel. Did Do you remember after that happened, was there any concern? I mean, was there anybody that would check on him, or did, did the match just kind of go on to your recollection? Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think after the, you know, the match was over. They didn't do anything, you know, as far as, you know, stopping the taping or anything else. Um, they did have a ringside physician back in the day, Dr. J.P. Korchik. There's a uh, there's a little bit of trivia. Uh, was the ringside physician for the Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club. So, um, isolated incident, thank goodness, here in the mm-hmm. Twins. All right, let's uh, go to our next question here, Mick, from Tom Pretty Boy Olson. There were quite a few years difference in age between men. Why are you laughing? That was Pretty Boy Olson. That's it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the question. So I have no idea what you're giggling over like a little schoolgirl. Pretty boy Olson. 
Okay. There were quite a few years difference in age between Mad Dog Vashon and his sister Vivian. Was she also from Algeria? No. Um, and neither was the dog. Uh, you know, the, it, Mad Dog Vashon, of course, all those years build from the alleys, the back alleys, the garbage cans, the rat caves of uh, Algeria. Mad Dog, of course, was from uh, Canada. And his sister Vivian... There's Vivian Vachon, one of the all-time great lady wrestlers. And sadly, uh, Vivian and her daughter uh, were killed in a hit-and-run accident by a drunk driver back uh, about 20-plus years ago. But Vivian was actually born in Vermont. So uh, she was born here in the States, but of course they are uh, both from uh, French-Canadian descent. So no Algeria connection for the late and truly great Vivian Vachon. And I, I think when I look at him, Mick, I can see a resemblance. I can see oh. a very, very similar resemblance between the two of them. Very much so. And, you know, Butcher, the same thing. And remember, this is a, this is a family of 13 and uh, one tough family. And Vivian Vachon, I got to know her a little bit, you know, prior to her death. And what a tough lady and what a great talent. Yeah. From uh, our friend Jeremy Chura, did you ever have any ribs pulled on you? If so, by who? Let's put those two uh, those two clowns up on the screen if we can. We're talking about ribs pulled on me. You mean besides getting into the wrestling business in general? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Besides that. That's right. Uh, if we have a photograph of the two, two culprits, there they are. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle. And I don't know if I've told this story before on the air, but uh, I was a ringside photographer for Pro Wrestling Illustrated back in the 1980s. And I was using just a little cheap camera uh, back in the day, shooting my pictures at ringside. Bill After still published them. I don't know how, but he did. And it was one of these primitive cameras where if you're looking through the lens, you don't know if the lens cap is necessarily on. <laughs> you're seeing your subject through the camera. <laughs> right. So he and Bockwinkle are standing kind of with their arms around each other. They're pointing to me and they're going through all these poses prior to a match. And I'm clicking away. And I'm thinking, God, this is just heaven on earth. Nick and Bobby are putting it over here. All of a sudden, Heenan yells across the ring, mind you. He didn't walk over. He said, hey, asshole. He said, why don't you try taking a lens cap off the camera? Well, I look and I'm mortified. You know, and, and Nick <laughs> And then Bobby has to finish it off with the ultimate insult, and he yells, Are you Wally Carbo's illegitimate kid? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, these two guys, the greatest pictures I probably ever had taken in my life, and that, you know, it was all black screen. But, <laughs> no, uh, nobody will ever see them. Nobody will ever see him, and it just had to know whose idea was it. You know, it was, but uh, Bachwinkle, of course, went along with it. But, yeah, that was, that was kind of a, uh, a rib, I guess. Oh, okay. kind of. Oh, that's that, that's cla- anything to completely embarrass you in front of the people. Yep, yep. Oh, man. Uh, from Steve K., I heard the reason there isn't more AWA uh, 1960s and early 70s videos because they taped over it. Uh, I've heard this as well. Uh, is that true, Steve, from California? Yeah, absolutely it is. And we, we've talked about that before on the show. And what a tragedy. I mean, back in the day, yeah, they would tape a show. 
uh, in the 60s, do their all-star wrestling, and then, you know, they would syndicate it around the country, but then they would tape over, you know, and it was just a cost-cutting measure. Uh, you know, there wasn't so much farsight to look ahead, you know, eventually we are going, where did that guy come from? <laughs> eventually. Oops. Uh, we're, we're going to be, uh, you Hit know, the wrong ha- button again. Damn it. We're, we're having an internet down the road. We'll have YouTube videos. No, they taped over each week, which is tragic because there's no early Dr. X footage as a heel. There's no AWA crusher footage as a heel. Larry Hannigan, Harley race. I mean, it, it, it's so sad. It's non-existent. You can't find it. It's not out there. So, other promotions did the same thing, but yet you go on YouTube and a lot of promotions did, in fact, maintain this life yeah. that we can still look at. But sadly, the AWA was not one of them. Is that one of those where, because we, you know, we hear these stories about maybe Vern wasn't looking and, and maybe Vern isn't the only one, but people were not looking to the future. It was kind of yeah. like just li- living in the moment, getting by from week to week. It's no different than, you know, if you had baseball cards when you were a kid and you put them on your on your, uh, on your bike, on the wheels of your bike. Who knew that that car that you just, you know, bent on the spokes was going to be worth five thousand dollars down the road. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing. And yeah, nobody knew. Nobody had the far side. Nobody absolutely. At the time, it made sense. You know, let's just go our week to week. And hey, we got this tape. Let's just tape over it. And, you know, yeah. So, yeah, very sad, though. You can't find AWA vintage footage. Yeah, it really, really is unfortunate. Yeah. From Kevin Sherman, who in their prime would you have loved to have seen come into the AWA that never did? All right. Well, I'm not sure what picture you're going to put up, so I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> I have no idea either at this point. I'll, I'll wait and put it. You, you might have a Lincoln coming up, so I'll, I'll wait and see. Uh, who you put up before I start talking about a guy that is not featured on the screen? Drum roll, ladies and gentlemen, as Chris Tubbs. I don't want to put a picture up because I'm going to screw it up. You All right. Start talking about somebody and I'll see if I have a corresponding picture. All right. Don't put I the onus on me. You can't trust me because I'm a screw up. I know you got this picture. <laughs> we saw Brad Armstrong a couple of minutes ago. God bless him. One of the great talents. I would have loved to have seen Brad come into the AWA. But in addition. Is that the picture you want? I'd like to see, or would have liked to have seen, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. I think Eddie Gilbert, not only one of the great heels and talents in professional wrestling uh, back in the day, but one of the genius minds in wrestling back in the day. And uh, he was so good and so creative down in the Continental Wrestling Association, uh, and, of course, in, in the WWF, Eddie was uh, primarily a babyface. He wrestled here in the early 1990s as uh, Eddie Sharkey and Dennis Corluzzo were co-promoting shows, NWA and PWA. Uh, Eddie came in and wrestled the uh, Road Warrior Hawk. Uh, uh, another talent gone much too soon. There he is. There's the hot stuff. Here's a guy not big in size at all. Mm-hmm. But he was a predecessor to what you see today. In my estimation, one of the truly overlooked, underappreciated greats of all time. He was one of those guys that I feel, Mick, was just white hot as a heel, white hot as a baby face. He was one of those guys that you could believe him 
either way for a small yeah. guy and really like you said the, the predecessor to what we see today you know i i can envision one-on-one -on -one matches with eddie gilbert and greg Gagne, and yeah. uh you know, greg back in the day uh showed tremendous fire as a baby face and eddie gilbert i can only imagine the promos that he would have cut on greg mm. uh so eddie gilbert would have been the guy that i would have said yeah i would love to have seen him come in yeah absolutely gone way too soon yeah. Uh, from Chad Murray here, what went down with Vern Gagne and Chavo Guerrero oh. at Cauliflower Alley? Bizarre incident again that we're going to be talking about. And I, I forget the year, but Vern was out at CAC. And we're in the hospitality room, and Chavo Guerrero Sr., and by that time, and I'm not making light of this at all, Vern, his, his mental uh, capabilities and facilities, faculties were already starting to go a little bit. Uh, and Chavo Guerrero Sr. apparently had been on that infamous Super Clash 3 event in Chicago and had not been paid what he was supposed to have been paid or whatever. And he confronted Vern Gagne in this hospitality room and in a not-so-kind fashion. Believe me, this was not a quiet conversation. In front of everybody? In front of everybody. Okay. And basically, you know, he's saying, you know, you screwed me in, in Chicago. And Vern legitimately did not remember who Chavo was. Vern has taken it and taken it, and Chavo keeps poke, 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 poke. And Vern finally stood up and said, listen, I don't know who the F you are, you know, but get out of my face. And Chavo has a beer bottle in his hand. This is legit now. And again, you're in a hospitality room. Nick Bockwinkel, Rick Renslow, a couple other guys intervened, and they escorted Chavo not only out of the hospitality room, but out of the building. Uh, it was just a bizarre incident. And again, you know, that controversy with uh, Super Class 3, but whether or not that was the case, come on, you know, what are you doing? And, and Chavo, I, I think, is fortunate that uh, it ended the way it did with him being escorted out of the building instead of being carted out of the building. Do you feel, did that reflect poorly on Vern for, you know, maybe not the payout that Chavo was claiming, or do you feel that maybe Chavo was, took some liberties and, and he went over the line with his actions? Absolutely. I, I, I think if you had any sympathy for Chavo, uh, you know, you certainly don't after he accosted a guy. Yeah, and did uh, well, where are you going? There we go. My oh. uh, my headphones came out. Um, did did people feel sorry for Vern? And I don't mean like in a did did, did they know? Did could you get the sense that Vern really just didn't have any idea what was going on? No, it it wasn't that bad yet. I I, I, I don't I don't want to get like too personal with yeah it, right no no I I think it was it was just starting, uh, okay. the decline was just starting. So Vern was a little bit confused, but you know this is how many years after the fact, yeah. you know fifteen years after, and all the wrestlers that Vern had dealt with not only off the show but just in general, and I'm sure he did not remember who Chavo was. Even if he did, even yeah. if he knew who Chavo was. That's the wrong goddamn time and place, Chavo. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so there's the story. All right. Uh, from Doug, I uh, would still like to know what happened to these two guys, Professor Steve Druk and uh, Crybaby Cannon. Ah, uh, it's actually Druk. Uh, Druk, Pro sorry. Professor Street, Steve Druk, and if we can get uh, Steve's picture up there first. Uh, Steve was a an enhancement guy 
in the AWA in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Uh, they called him Judo Steve Druck. There he is, a uh, Minneapolis resident. As a matter of fact, his family owned a furniture uh, store here in the Twin Cities. And then in about 1965, Vern had an idea of making Steve Professor Steve Druck. And he gave him a derby hat, of course, which was, you know, allegedly had the, uh, the metal or fiberglass uh, inlay so he could uh, knock out his opponents with it. Uh, Steve managed... Uh, Larry Hennig, Harley Race, Chris Markoff. So Steve was right place, right time. And for uh, a couple of years, he was a, a big time heel. Made the transition here in the AWA. Crybaby Cannon. Uh, George Crybaby Cannon. Where is he? Where, there he is. And there, there he is in his Crybaby days. And what they would do with George on AWA TV, he would do his enhancement role. And at the end of a match... Whether he submitted, pinned, counted out, George would cry uh, at the decision of the referee or the fact that he took the three count and he would sob in the middle of the ring. Uh, thus, the name George Crybaby Cannon. He actually went on to a very successful career, not only as a manager, part-time wrestler, promoter, uh, up in the, you know Dick the Bruiser territory and down south. So he had a legendary career. But in the AWA, he was relegated to, uh, to teardrops and bullshit. Uh, George Crybaby Buchanan. I love the gimmick. Like I, I, oh. I think that's a fabulous gimmick because you see guys. It's like guys get pissed off after matches and they go crazy and they go nuts, whatever. It's like just have somebody cry. I love it. Like I would love to have done that gimmick back. You in ever the been day. in the locker room at the end of an indie show when I went to get my pay envelope? <laughs> that was it, based on a, based on real life experiences. That's, that's correct. All right. Hey, uh, here's uh, somebody that eh, a little bit higher, uh, you know, higher on the, you know, success ladder. Uh, would Red uh, Bastion have made a good AWA champion? Wow, uh, great question. Um, and the answer to that is, as great as Red was, I don't know. Maybe in the short term. He would have been a great AWA champion. Um, there's Red right there. First of all, one of the really nice gentlemen in the history of the business. And that's a fact. Uh, former uh, president of Cauliflower Alley Club, they actually had a Red Bastine Friendship Award that they would give out, give out to fans uh, of the business. Uh, Red, as a singles wrestler, very talented he, of course, held the AWA Tag Team Championship, along with with uh, Hercules Cortez and then the Crusher. Uh, he teamed with Billy Red Lions. Great combination there. Uh, teamed with uh, Billy Robinson. I, I think Red, Red was more suited in a championship role for a tag team situation. Again, maybe a short-term run with an AWA singles title. But that has nothing to do with uh, we're not denigrating Red's talent in the ring. He is one of the mm -hmm. all-time greats. And, again, just a fantastic guy. I uh, love Red Bestie. And he, he's one of those guys that you could – I think you could kind of see it. But I feel like people are – they remember him well being, you know, such a successful tag team guy. Yes, yes, very much so. And, again, you, could, he, could he have carried the strap? Yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. I think so. But maybe not over the long haul. Uh, question from Janine Velasco. I've always been a fan of Don Morocco. I know he was here at the start of his career, 
Uh, did you like him more as a good guy back then or the bad guy in WWF? No comparison. Uh, when Don broke in with the AWA or the, the early part of his career, uh, kind of your typical babyface, you know, and he would feud with virtually everybody from Bockwinkle and Stevens to Ivan Koloff to Superstar Graham. Uh, there, there is a little bit later on, of course, mm-hmm. in the career of Don Morocco. And I don't know of a guy who made more of a complete transition in the business from the babyface that he started out as to, in my estimation, one of the greatest heel performers of all time. Yeah, I, I don't even remember him as a babyface. Like when I first saw Don Morocco, I didn't see the AWA run. But I remember seeing him as a uh, a heel in WWF around eighty seven ish eighty eight. Morocco was phenomenal as a as a heel, and again, you know, maybe he got into the comedy stuff a little bit later on with uh, Mr. Fuji and Fuji Vice and what have you. But fans who saw him in the AWA early on, and he teamed with a guy named Lonnie Kealoa, who of course went on to great fame as Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Uh, both Polynesian descent, and they teamed up here in the early 1970s. But, man, Don absolutely found his niche as a heel, and what a colossal heel he would have been in the AWA. Actually came back towards the end of the AWA run as a babyface and wrestled Larry Zabisco uh, in Rochester. But uh, you talk about one of the all-time greats, Don Morocco. And uh, he's actually one of the uh, one of the guys that we're going to end up I know you and I have been in contact with him, so we're hoping to work out schedules and uh, hopefully we'll get Don, you know, hopefully we'll get Don Morocco on here uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, From Taft Martin here, I saw a video of the Crusher Mad Dog Vachon studio incident from 1970s uh, where Mad Dog was bleeding profusely. Was Crusher in a fog? How could he not know how bad Dog was hurt? I know this is something, Mick, that we've addressed uh, maybe in a you know, a little bit slightly different way in earlier uh, earlier episodes, but that's a pretty, you know, I mean, if you saw it, you know, people still really remember that incident really vividly. They really do. And and to answer the question, that it was Crusher in a fog? I don't know. I don't know how Crusher could have missed what was going on in the ring. Uh, they had a, an angle on television where the Crusher and the dog got into it and uh, Mad Dog bladed. Um, there's a, actually, it's a program, that's a Chicago program, uh, during the Crusher Vachon feud in the 1960s, legendary stuff, excuse me. Um, but Mad Dog bladed and somehow he hit an artery, uh, on the outside of the ring and Crusher, for whatever reason, continued to pound on the open wound, which at this point is like a squirt gun. You know, and it's coming out of there. And Roger Kent, I remember Roger doing the play by play at that point, And he's saying, you know, basically screaming for help. We got to get some pressure on that wound. And uh, the, the ring attendants and the police officers on hand actually attended to the dog who was taken to a hospital. Uh, legit 26 stitches in his head. Uh, but when you look at the footage, Honest to God, it, it is like a, a waterfall. And I don't know if Crusher didn't realize the extent of it or got caught up in the moment of what it was, but just a, a frightening incident that uh, luckily the dog survived. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And do you remember, was there any, I don't want to say any heat on Crusher, but do you remember, was it just one of those things that y- you do it and 
they say shit happens and then you move on? Think of uh, The Rock and Mick Foley uh, when they had that 11 unprotected chair shots. Chair shots, yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, at the moment, somebody is not thinking. Somebody's caught up in the moment or somebody doesn't realize how bad. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Did Mad Dog say, keep hitting me? I don't know. Yeah. Um, just caught up in the moment. It's it's just one of those things. But you look back on it and it's like, holy shit, you know? Yeah. From uh, Leslie Harris here, as popular as Eddie Sharkey was in his wrestling days, wouldn't it have made sense to give him a run with the junior heavyweight championship? That is a great question. Uh, this is back in 1965. And Eddie was a mainstay on Twin Cities wrestling shows. And he had a series of matches with a guy named Bob Boyer, who was also a mainstay. Basically, they were jockeying for position uh, for a chance at Danny Hodge, who at the time was the AWA junior heavyweight champion. Uh, Eddie had a, a couple, I believe, a couple of matches against Danny Hodge, came up on the short end of the stick. What I would say to that is, for the most part, there was no AWA junior heavyweight division per se, so Sharky and Boyer were kind of an anomaly at the time that they were battling for this shot at Danny Hodge. Danny, of course, wrestled continuously every night of the week all over the country. So the AWA didn't have that division. So it made no sense really to give Eddie a, a, a run with a title that they weren't going to be doing. Right. Anything. But I, 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 go I ahead. Just, I was just going to say, like, would it almost like have been a disservice to Eddie to give him this title that basically doesn't mean anything? Right. And he probably would have turned around and lost it, you know, uh, you know, maybe a month down the road. Uh, Danny Hodge always spoke very highly of Eddie Sharkey. But in the scheme of things, the AWA Junior Heavyweight Championship, which evolved into the Light Heavyweight Championship later on with Zumhoff and Steve Regal and so forth, uh, has always been kind of a, you know, back burner title in the AWA. Uh, from Butch Anderson here, I seem to recall part of the All-Star Wrestling Show focusing on boxing back in my youth. Uh, do you recall something like that? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it, at one time it was called the Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club because the uh, the office promoted professional boxing in the Twin Cities as well. Uh, in the 1960s, uh, Vern Gagne decided that he wanted to kind of uh, insinuate uh, or, or uh, get boxing involved in the promotion again. So he would dedicate part of the AWA All-Star Wrestling Show uh, to professional boxing. And there is a gentleman by the name of Ron Marsh. Ron was a heavyweight boxer that Vern started to manage uh, in the 1960s in hopes of, you know, kind of getting the the momentum, the rub for the AWA wrestling onto the boxing scene. Um, all was fine and good until Marsh lost a match here in the, uh, in the Twin Cities to a man named Ed Baker Boy Hurley. Uh, after that, all of a sudden, the momentum just stopped dead in its tracks, you know, as far as Vern was concerned, um, it was all over. So very short lived situation. Did that, did, did it, did that kind of like, did Vern feel like maybe that ruined the legitimacy of it? No, well, I, it, it ruined what Vern was trying to do. I think Vern saw more in Ron Marsh than he eventually got out of Ron Marsh. Okay. Uh, both Ron Marsh and Baker Boy Hurley were basically journeyman club fighters. Okay. Uh, Marsh was a little bit better, you would think, a little more charisma than Ed Baker Boy Hurley. But once, you know, once you get that that defeat, yeah. you know, the mystique is kind of all over, you know, and Ronda Rousey lost two in a row. Yeah. 
I'm, you know? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there for the WWF fans. And I think you guys are going to remember this, the brawl for all. Is that, could you, could you make that comparison where they try and legitimize like one it's built around one guy. And when that guy loses and that luster is gone, the whole idea is shot. And well, yeah. And he, and he had two strikes really against it because you're trying to push boxing on wrestling fans. Maybe they're crossover fans, but they're watching wrestling to watch yeah. They don't want the last 45 minutes to be devoted to, to boxing. Uh, as far as the brawl for all is concerned, disaster, absolute disaster. Not only were guys getting hurt seriously, but again, you know, the, the whole idea, you know, Dr. Death, Steve Williams is that was the guy. Yep. And then all of a sudden he's knocked on his ass. And uh, so that, that was, uh, yeah, uh, it just didn't work. I think, and there have been work matches where boxers go in the ring against wrestlers over the years. Um, I was never a fan. A uh, couple more here, Mick, before we wrap it up from Susan Boyer. Uh, my grandpa says he went to high school with Blackjack Lance in Minneapolis. I keep telling him he must be mistaken because they were told that Jack was from Albuquerque. Is he thinking of someone else? No, you're not thinking of anyone else. Uh, Jack was uh, billed from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then also from Laredo, Texas uh, later on. But Black Jack Lanza, the late Jack Lanza, actually was uh, a Minneapolis resident. Uh, there he is, Black Jack Lanza and the, uh, the photography expert, uh, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Uh, Jack was born and raised in Minneapolis, and he went to De La Salle High School. And uh, I've mentioned this before. Jack was uh, voted by his classmates the most like or the guy you wanted most by your side in an alley fight or something. Uh, Jack was legitimately a very, very tough guy. But as far as the Albuquerque and the Laredo and the Mars and Saturn and everything else, no, he was a Minneapolis boy. So wait a minute. You're telling me a wrestler is billed from someplace mm -hmm. when they're really not from that place. You could be billed from parts unknown and actually be from Payfade Boulevard. So there is a, you know, yeah, it, it happens every once in a while. <laughs> Shoot Street and Payfade Boulevard. Exactly. It's right on the corner of, of Broadway and close the grill. So yeah, <laughs> right there. A couple more here. Uh, this one from Carlene Cook. Did Larry the Axe Heading have another son who wrestled besides Kurt? He did. And uh, I mentioned this gentleman before, and I know we're going to get his picture up on the screen, I, I think, you know, unless we get a picture of a Big Mac or something. Who knows what buttons dude, shut up. We're pushing your own. Oh, uh, man, but, dude. But at any rate, uh, they're in the middle. <laughs> that is Jesse Hennig. And uh, to Jesse's, to, well, to your left, Larry the Axe Hennig, and then, of course, to the right, uh, Kurt Hennig. Uh, Jesse unfortunately did not last long in the business. And I think it was just a matter of, he had the athletic skills. I don't think he had the passion. I don't mm -hmm. think he had the, the real interest and, and passion for the business to compete yeah. on a long-term level. And I got to say, he had a match in, uh, I want to maybe Mankato, Minnesota, or whatever, when he first started out against a guy named the Texas Badman. And I don't care what desires you had about becoming a professional wrestler. This Texas bad man 
was the worst professional wrestler I have ever seen, ever. And that includes uh, Silo Sam. And poor Jesse had to get into the ring with this guy at the first, at the start of his career. And I think it was the start and the end of his career all in the same night. He just, the passion exploded. Get me out of here. What am I doing here? And uh, Jesse is a great guy, but uh, just didn't make it in the business. Well, maybe, maybe the bad man was an explanation of his skill set. You know, his wrestling uh, ability. Yeah. That's been kind. That is an insult to bad men all over the world. Whew, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up here, Mick. I, I feel like uh, I don't know that we're going to have time for all. From Keith Andrusco, who do you think is the all-time greatest jobber in the AWA? And do you think you could list 100 wrestlers who appeared on All-Star Wrestling in that role? All right. So, first of all. Okay. Part one, the greatest enhancement wrestler, jobber, whatever you want to say, in the history of the AWA, and there's been a lot of good ones. I've said this so many times before. There he is, Kenny Sodbuster J. Who you can uh, meet, by the way, at the reunion, yeah. Absolutely. He will be at the reunion, and you ask wrestling fans from back in the day, hey, do you remember those guys from television used to lose all the time? Kenny J is the first name that they mentioned. He is the all-time greatest. There's no question about it. Now, Part two. What was the gentleman's first name who asked this question? Uh, it was a Keith Andrusco. Keith. Okay. Keith, I'll tell you what. You wanted me to list 100 wrestlers that were in the enhancement role in the AWA in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. I'll go you better. I'll give you 200. And I will do that next week. We'll have them on the show. We will list them. Uh, there's a lot more than that, but I'll give you 200. And uh, I won't have any work names in there. They'll all be shoots. Everything is going to be legit. Whether it's a one-shot deal or not, you're going to see some names that you probably don't know. But I'm telling you, they were there. You're going to give me 200 pictures? I can't even get 20 pictures right. How am I going to do get one picture right? You know, but, you know, I, I know what you'll do, you know. I want I tell you what, I won't give you 200 pictures. Just do a crawl at the bottom of the screen. Okay. You know, and maybe put up one picture because I don't want to overload you. Look at, look at the man's going already, ladies and gentlemen. See him? Look at, look at him. Look at him. I don't want to overload you between pizza and pictures. You're a mess. So we'll just do a crawl. All you got to do is spend the next week typing up names. <laughs> Type up names. That's all you got to do. Oh, okay. All right, 200. So that's the show next week. 200 enhancement talent. That's the whole show? Oh, I don't know. No. That's my question. What we're going to try to do next week, and I'm going to plug this, and I don't know if you knew this was the follow-up. We're going to try to get Steve Anderson on the show. And uh, Steve Anderson was the biographer for Bobby the Brain Heenan and spent an awful lot of time with Bobby uh, putting two books together. Okay. He's got some great stories, and hopefully we're going to get Steve on the hook for next week. So just run the crawl at the bottom of the damn screen and don't worry about it. So we're doing the crawl uh, and, and Steve. Can I you handle it? Well, I thought 200 was just going to be the show. I didn't know Steve was going to be on it. I mean, I thought we were the names are enough. Ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do, do two. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me, we're going to do, do 200 names and we're going to do Steve. That's correct. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, 
$1.75 million a year and the guy is victim. <laughs> I, I got a shoot job. I, I'm going to use all my sick day. I'm going to take a week of vacation just to put this freaking crawl together. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, plug the reunion. Let's go. Plug the reunion. Then we'll get the sponsors in the shout outs and then we'll go. I have to start. I have to start right now. I like literally have to start this right now. And I'll start talking about the reunion that at one time you were going to be a part of. The <laughs> wrestling reunion, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. WA reunion, October 29th at the Embassy Suites in Bloomington, Minnesota on American Boulevard. It's going to be a great time. The best 25 bucks you're ever going to spend. Go to Slick Mix, Old School Wrestling page, and also the AWA Unleashed Fans page for details on how to purchase tickets. They're limited. There's a little bit of detail you got to follow, but you don't want to miss this. It's going to be a fun time. All right, and uh, that being said, we've got the crawl. I'll put more of a crawl up next week because that's all I'm going to do is write freaking crawls. Uh, let's uh, let's give the shout outs, Mick, and then we're gonna then I'm gonna start writing. You start crawling yourself. <laughs> I will crawling and I, crawling crawling. Chris Tubbs crying. Okay, anyway. I want to give a shout out to a very good friend of mine and a very loyal listener. And that's my buddy, Doug Frazee. And Doug is just an exceptional wrestling fan. Never misses an episode of AWA Unleashed on the various uh, platforms. And Doug, keep listening, buddy. We love you. You're a a loyal fan. And uh, shout out to you. And uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Izzy Presley at Real Izzy Presley on Twitter. Uh, big follower, big, you know, always retweets and asking questions. So, uh, Izzy, uh, this is for you, dude. And uh, just keep keep supporting us. That being said, uh, I want to tell you, support our sponsors as well. Officially hoodie season, you guys. Um, get your AWA Unleashed personalized hoodie, black and white. You get your name on there. Go to sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED. They're very comfortable. They do run a little small. So, if you're normally a large size up to an XL, if you're an XL, size up to a 2X, uh, so on and so forth. And then also, if you're looking for something to uh, to eat, if you're looking for some good food, a good meal to feed the family, something that tastes good, that's uh, relatively easy, quick to get in, uh, check out 7th Avenue Pizza. Great fresh ingredients. Uh, they're absolutely awesome. I love the the Lucky 7 is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, also like the uh, the meatball and pepperoni. Uh, great. You can find them uh, all around the Twin Cities Metro. But if you're not in the Metro, 7thAvenuePizza.com. Thank them for uh, everything that they did. Uh, Nick, I'm going to go right because uh, apparently I've got a, I got a ton of stuff to do. So thank well, you for that. Well, just, just keep eating the pizza. Uh, I'm figuring between the, the pizza and the crawl that my God, poor guy's going to get carpal tunnel, uh, you, you'll probably have a, a very – that's what my hands are going to look like after. Very busy week, and and uh, certainly you know you will earn every bit of your. Now I believe it's gone up to two point eight million dollars a year, and uh, worth every dime. 